0: i have returned another week another podcast y'all know how we get down over here on the Reagan griffin junior show before i get into it today i want to give a special shout out to my good friend joel weinstein i don't do this too often but i think today warrants it joel is having his graduation party today and unfortunately i can't be there because i'm filming the podcast right i gotta record i gotta edit i gotta get this thing out to y'all um But I do want to give him a special congratulations. Obviously, the class of 2020, they've had an experience that is um, it's very unique, to say the least. It's not what my graduating senior year was like. It's not what I'm sure many of your graduating seniors will be or have been like. Um, So, yeah, special shout out to Joel for everything that he's been through, for everything that he's accomplished. Um, I'm sorry I can't be there for you today, but um, I'm with you in spirit. And with that said, cue the music, man. A, we yo, all the times we times we spend ay, yo, from What we will still be. We will still be, friends be. Friends so, yeah, like I said. Congrats to Joel. Congrats to the class of 2020. You guys keep persevering. Sometimes, sometimes life gives you lemons, man. Um, You guys learned that lesson a lot earlier than a lot of us have had to, but uh that's how the ball rolls sometimes, man. And uh I'm glad to see you guys out here persevering. But with that said, I want to get into the episode. Q and A, say it with me. Q and A, say it with me. Cue that music. sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I have been lacking on these Q&A questions. I know, I know. And I put out a video a couple weeks ago. I said that it was going to be one of my priorities to start getting and incorporating guests on the show. And I've done that, right? We had a great conversation with Rob Parker. We had a great conversation with Liam Jenkins last week. But one of the other goals that I was prioritizing was audience engagement right I wanted you guys to be part of this and you know I've been lacking from that standpoint man so I wanted to give you guys the platform this week ask me anything that you wanted to ask me I have 10 very solid questions here from good friends of the show um and I want to get into it, man, because I have been lacking, man. I'm going to try. I'm going to I'm not even going to try. I'm going to be better in the coming weeks. Letting Even when I have a guest on, I'm still going to allow you guys to ask those questions. I've been lacking from that standpoint, but I'm going to pick it back up and With That said, let's go ahead and hop into this Q&A, man. Who do I, who do I want to mess with first? Who's first on the docket? Mm-mm-mm. How about Antonio Almost Antonio always coming with the questions, man. My former center. Went to war with that man on the field. Antonio almost asked me, how do, you, how do you feel about the NFL making an extra wild card spot? He also adds that he feels like it's just an opportunity to get Dallas in. He wants me to change his mind. I'm not going to try to change your mind. Because when you say Dallas, I'm sure you're talking about the, the team. But I think what it is is more Dallas as a concept. Because time and again, the Cowboys have been that team. That just missed the playoffs, right? They're just out. They're that first team. You, I I think it's the, the 20th pick in the NFL draft. You just missed the NFL or, or the playoffs, right? So I, I think as a concept, that's what it is. It's to get that Dallas X team that's always just on the brim of the playoffs to get an opportunity. Now I have mixed feelings on it, right? Because on the one hand, there's plenty of years in the past. I always think back to, um, I forget the specific year, but it was the year that Lovey Smith got fired from the Bears. That team went 10 and 6. It was one of the better teams in the NFL, but they missed the playoffs because of the division they were in, right? Because the NFC was so competitive that year and because they were in a division with uh, the Packers, I believe it was, that ended up winning the division. Um, that's why they missed the playoffs. In some years, it makes sense. You want to see those teams compete, right? That Bears team had a decent shot if they would have entered the playoffs. But other years, such as possibly this one, there's teams where it's like, I don't care if this team makes the playoffs or not. Think about the NFC this season. The Eagles made the playoffs. And y'all, y'all know I'm a big Eagles fan, right? That Eagles team wasn't that great this year. And if you add the team after that, who would that have been? I think it might have been the Rams. The Rams weren't good. The Rams were not a good football team this season. Or maybe it was the Cowboys. The Cowboys were not a good football team this season. I didn't want to see either one of those teams in the playoffs. So on a year-by-year basis, there's some years where, yeah, I want to see that other team make the playoffs. There's other years where, where it really doesn't make a difference whether that team makes the playoffs or not, but what it does for me, it's less about the bottom part of the playoffs and more about the top part because with that addition of an extra wild card spot, you're also now making that number two spot. They have to play in the first round. They have to play in the wild card now. That that number two plays. I think that would be that, the number seven seed, right? So that number one seed becomes a lot more coveted because. As it stands right now, the NFL is saying, "Okay, if you make number one seed or you make number two seed, you get a first round buy. Now you have to be the number one seed, or you don't get a buy at all." It's interesting, man. It's interesting that that, I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea. I like the idea that I'll put it like this: I like the idea that the number one seed should be the most coveted thing, and finishing second in your conference doesn't warrant you getting a first-round buy, right? We're not giving out awards for number two. I'm with that. But more often than not, that first team out of the playoffs, they would have lost in the playoffs anyway. There are times where there's a a bit of an exception, right? Football is a very volatile game. Any given Sunday, any team can be any team. But more often than not, I'm not that interested in seeing that last team make the playoff, or that first team out make the playoffs, especially when they're playing the number two seed, who's probably going to wreck them. As it stands right now, I'm pretty indifferent about it. I have opinions on it, obviously, but you know, there's pros and cons to it, and they weigh out to be just about even for me. I like the fact that the number one seed means a lot more, but I don't like the fact that more often than not, that last team that's getting in, they're probably going to get crushed in the first week. But hey, the, the, the funny thing about the wild card, man, we've seen wild card teams go all the way. We've seen the Packers do it. We've seen the Giants do it. It, it, it can happen. I just don't think it's going to happen a whole lot with a team that really wasn't supposed to make the playoffs in the first place. Moving on. I'm going to get it right today. Today's the day, y'all. I've messed it up on this show twice. But I'm going to get this man's name right. Jamon... McKinney. Jamon McKinney. Remember that name, y'all. I butchered it way too many times. It's inexcusable, but we got it right today. Jamon McKinney, host of the Juice Alert. Go check that out. Jamon asked me, Will Joe Burrow win? Hold up, man. Will Joe Burrow win the Bengals a Super Bowl before he retires? Damn. Damn, dog! Can can he take a snap first? Can I see how he looks on the NFL field? Ah, um, man, that you just dropped a bomb on me, bro. Uh, I mean, this iteration of the Bengals, no. As it stands right now, that roster is not a Super Bowl caliber roster. And not, not in my opinion. There's just no way. A.J. Green's hurt all the time. John Ross is hurt all the time. Tyler Boyd can't carry that weight all by himself, so the offense isn't where it needs to be. The defense is probably a little bit better than the offense, but still, neither side's of the ball. Not Super Bowl caliber. But, you know, this is over the course of his entire career, before he retires. We don't even know. I mean, we thought, if you'd have asked me when Andrew Luck got drafted by the Colts, right? And by that time, I was young. I really wasn't an analyst at that point. I'm still having impressionable opinions. I would have said, yeah, Andrew Luck probably going to win the Colts of Super Bowl. Look how that turned out. You never, it's really so hard to tell with these things, man. It's so hard to tell. I'm going to do my best though, man. It, it's its going to be really contingent on the coaches in the front office, right? Because like I said, as it stands right now, the Bengals do not have a Super Bowl caliber roster, It's going to be contingent on the coaches to put the team in positions to win. It's going to be contingent on the front office getting better players in the door. Now look at the coach, Zach Taylor. We don't even know what he's capable of. I mean, this is his first year coaching. We know that he's coming from the Rams. We know that he's coming from under that McVay system, right? Which was great. It was this, holy crap, look how great this McVay system was the first year. What did it do this year? Right? So are we even sure Zach Taylor is the the wonderkins that everyone had him pegged to be? We don't know that. So, I, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but we still have to. We, we're not sure exactly what Zach Taylor is capable of at this point in time. Um, but I really want to look at that, the front office. Because that that I feel like when we talk about football, sports in general, really, the, the role of the front office, we don't talk about it enough. Because that's the that's the entity that brings in players, negotiates contracts, constructs the makeup of the roster, hires the coaches, fires the coaches, the front office. That's a lot of power there. There's a lot of power and control over the direction of a franchise. And the problem with the Bengals front office right now, they have this dude, Duke Tobin. Right. He's the director of player personnel. He's the de facto GM, but he's not really the GM. Because the dude pulling the ropes, from what I can gauge, the dude that's really pulling the ropes is the owner, Mike Brown. When you when you go to Google and you type in who is the who is the Bengals general manager, there's no official general manager for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. What you have is a director of player personnel, Duke Tobin, and you have Mike Brown. And there seems to be this weird power dynamic where Duke Tobin is the guy who's essentially playing GM and he's the face of that GM role. But Mike Brown kind of almost in a James Dolan-esque fashion, right? James Dolan, the Knicks, everybody knows how he always has his hands and everything going on there. Mike Brown has his hands in the football operations way too much for his own good, and that's caused the Bengals to suffer. I mean, you listen to First Take, you listen to Skip and Shannon. People are talking about this. The Bengals ownership is why that team has been, you know, mediocre. Look how long it took for them to fire Marvin Lewis, and you guys know I'm always I'm always gonna cape for the black coaches in the NFL, but Marvin Lewis. By sticking with him for so long, you were sticking with mediocrity. It took them that long to get rid of Marvin Lewis out of Cincinnati. Unacceptable. Mike Brown, as it stands right now, I am going to say no. If that situation does not change, where Mike Brown has his hands so deep in the football operations, Joe Burrow will not win a Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals. However, if it does change, there's no reason why you couldn't. I mean, Joe Burrow, from what I can gauge, very talented player. You get talented players around him; special things happen. We saw it happen at LSU, Ooh, greatest season by a quarterback in college football history. But it's not, that's not going to change unless Mike Brown removes himself a little bit, and there's no indication that he's going to do that. So based on that, I'm going to have to say, no, Joe Burrow will not win a Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals. Jamon, you really dropped a bomb on me, dog. I, <laughs> I had to do some researching for that one. Next up, we got Jared Weinstein. Jared is the brother, the older brother of Joel, who I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Jared asked me, who will win a Super Bowl first, the Jets or the Giants? This what we on today, y'all. Y'all asking me to project like 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Can I say neither? Can I say neither the Jets or the Giants are gonna win a Super Bowl first? I mean, oof. They're, they're, they're teams built in kind of similar molds right now, in that both teams have a young franchise quarterback, right? Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones. Sam Darnold coming from uh USC, Sam Jones coming from Duke. They both have young offensive talent, right? The the Jets just had a hell of a draft, right? You drafted Denzel Mims, who I think is a baller. Um, You have a lot of injury concerns on the rest of your receiving core. You got Le'Veon Bell. He's not exactly young, but he's a talented player. You got Saquon Barkley for the Giants. You got Sterling Shepard. You got Golden Tate. Both teams have potential when it comes to their offense, both teams have coaches that I'm not really a fan of. Joe Judge, I still don't think he deserved to have a head coaching job at this point in his career. Adam Gase just looks like a crazy person. And we saw what he did in Miami. Oh man. It it's it's tough to say who would win. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the Giants. And the only reason I go with the Giants is because the Jets, the Giants have shown themselves to be on an upward trajectory. I have not seen that upward trajectory yet from the Jets. We see more flashes every now and again from San Donald. We see flashes of greatness from the Jets, but we haven't seen a consistent upward trajectory from the Jets like we have seen from the Giants, right? Daniel Jones Proved himself all throughout last year. Obviously, he had the fumble issues, but you know, in, in terms of uh, quarterback play, the dude was very good for a rookie quarterback. Makes great decisions with the football. We know what Saquon Barkley is capable of. We don't even have to talk about that. We know what Sterling Shepard, that dude's a very good wide receiver. We know Golden Tate can be a very good wide receiver. I, I see more consistency from the Giants, but the thing is, these things can blow up in an instant. So to try to project who could win a Super Bowl first, that's so tough. That's so tough because what you're asking me is who's going to build a Super Bowl caliber roster first and then who's going to capitalize on that Super Bowl caliber roster. Both teams are so far from from so far from having a Super Bowl caliber roster that it's almost impossible to project that. But if I had to take a stab at it, I would say the Giants. Even looking at history, right? The Jets won the third Super Bowl. And really nothing's happened for that franchise since. We can talk about the AFC Championships and the Mark Sanchez, Rex Ryan era. But really, what have the Jets done since Joe Namath guaranteed a Super Bowl? Meanwhile, the Giants... They've had their flashes throughout the throughout NFL history. They had the Lawrence Taylor era. They had the, this recent era with Eli Manning where they pulled out two chips. We've seen the Giants ascend to greatness multiple times throughout NFL history. We haven't seen that from the Jets. So if I'm basing it on history and I'm basing it on the construction of the current rosters and the confidence that I have in either team to build a Super Bowl roster, I'm leaning more towards the Giants. But it's still really, it's it's almost impossible to project at this point who would actually win a Super Bowl first. Next question comes from Trevor Dudasic. Dudasic or D- Dudasic? I'm sorry, I forget the, how to pronounce his last name. And Trevor, I met Trevor at a camp a couple years back. Very funny dude. One of the funniest dudes I've ever met. He wants to be a stand-up comedian. And let me tell y'all, I tried that one time. I tried being a stand-up comedian one time. It went well, but it is so hard. It is so difficult to stand up in front of an audience. I don't, we must have been about maybe 100, 150 people in the room when I was doing stand up and to look out into just a wave of people, into a sea of people and just be like, oh, man, I have to make all y'all laugh. Not an easy thing to do, man. So much respect to what Trevor does. Trevor asked me, are the Chiefs a new dynasty? Damn it, man. Can y'all keep asking me to I I know my job as an analyst is to project things, but y'all asking me to project like decades down the line. I'm not a fortune teller. Hold up. Let me. I forgot my crystal ball, man. Let me let me go grab that real quick. Boy, if you don't get all right, let's see. Are the Chiefs a new dynasty? Well, you have Patrick Mahomes, and that's enough in itself. To put you in contention year in and year out. There's certain dudes in every sport who tip the odds in your favor with their mere presence. When I think about the NBA, I think about LeBron James. Obviously, LeBron James comes to your team, you're an instant contender. Kawhi Leonard, yeah. If you have a if you if you don't have a terrible roster, Kawhi Leonard comes to your team, instant contender. Kevin Durant pre-injury, we don't know what he looks like now, obviously, but he comes to your team instant contender. Look at the NFL. Obviously not now, but Aaron Rodgers in his prime, you could never count that Packer team out. Could never count Aaron Rodgers out of a game. There are certain players that always tip the odds in your favor. Russell Wilson, prime example. Seahawks, time and again. We've seen the Seahawks put out very good rosters. We've seen the Seahawks put out subpar rosters. But as long as Russell Wilson was at the helm of that, you could never count that team out. Deshaun Watson's proving himself to be another one of those dudes. Now, Patrick Mahomes is like that dude times a hundred. You can never count that dude out of a game. And as long as you can't count them out of a game, you always have a chance. You always have a chance from Patrick Mahomes. So, could they become a new dynasty? Oh, yeah. It's pretty difficult with, with football, right? Because we talk about becoming a dynasty in, in a game like NBA basketball. It's a lot easier to just retain the best players. And as long as you have that core, you're going to be good. But football, there's a lot. There's 22 dudes on the field that all have to work cohesively to achieve an objective. It's a little bit harder to maintain that. But again, that X factor of Patrick Mahomes that gives you the advantage every single time. I do think that the Chiefs could become a dynasty. I do. In his two years as a starter, we've seen Patrick Mahomes dominate both years. We've seen him win an MVP and a Super Bowl. So long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Andy Reid, and you have speed on that offense. That Chiefs team can win against any team in the NFL. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Wholeheartedly believe that. Are they a new dynasty now? Oh, no. You got to do a lot more than when just the, the, the one Super Bowl to become a dynasty. But could they be one? No doubt in my mind, man. That dude, Patrick Mahomes, he might be the single greatest talent of any sport outside of possibly probably LeBron James. I didn't get to see LeBron James coming up, so it's a little bit different for me in terms of somebody that I've actually seen their ascension. Patrick Mahomes is the most talented player across any sport that I've ever witnessed. I've never seen, and mind you, I used to play quarterback, right? This was a while ago, right? But I played it enough to understand how ridiculous some of the stuff Patrick Mahomes does is. It is utterly ridiculous bordering on humanely impossible to do some of the things that... I mean, just when you watch him throw across his body, the arm strength that it takes for him to do some of the things that he does, it's unreal, man. It's unreal. If you have a talent like that, of course you have the potential to become a dynasty, man. No doubt in my mind. Keeping it pushing. Mr. Noah C. Cornelius. Music extraordinaire. Noah asked me... Could the Mavericks make a Western Conference final run? No. No. The, the, the Dallas Mavericks, they're not ready, man. At this particular juncture, they're not ready. Some years down the line, I could see it, right? We all know how talented Luka Doncic is right now, and this is only his second year in the league. We all know the potential of Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Even though the dude doesn't like to go to the paint at all, (laughs) the dude's still a force to be reckoned with on the court. He creates mismatches, mismatches, excuse me, essentially wherever he goes. That team has insane depth. We talk about a guy like Dwight Powell. We talk about a guy like um, Jalen Brunson, Seth Curry. That team has very, very good depth. They have talented players around Luka and Chris But at this point in time, they're not ready to make a run in that Western Conference. We're looking at the Lakers, man. We're looking at the the, the Clippers, and the thing with the Mavericks. I looked at their the as it stands right now, they're seventh seed, and that's subject to change if the NBA pushes forward with the uh, the eight re, the eight regular season games that they plan for. That's subject to change, but at worst, they'll probably end up at the eighth seed or the seventh seed. Excuse me. And their path to the Western Conference Finals is going to run through either the Lakers or the Clippers. Which there's just no way. Both the Lakers and the Clippers, they're just too ready. Those teams have been constructed to win now. That Dallas team, it's constructed to win now to an extent, but it's also constructed to project to be good years down the line. We still have to wait for the the true development of guys like Luca, guys like uh, uh, Chris Apps. Chris Apps isn't even one hundred percent healthy at this point. He's still, you know, it it doesn't take it takes a year to get back into basketball playing shape after an ACL, but it really takes about two years to regain what you had before in terms of your athletic ability. So Chris Apps isn't even back at maximum capacity. No, this Mavericks team, man. Not this year. Not this year. They couldn't make a Western Conference Finals. I wouldn't bet on it. Pushing it, man. This one comes from my beloved sister, Ebony Griffin, who I know just doesn't know anything about sports. So I'm going to assume this question came from her boyfriend. But hey, maybe I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Ebony asked me, how will the lack of home court slash live fans that advantage how will that impact the NBA return Mm, that's a good question because I I don't think that's something that we discuss enough when we talk about the NBA return and we'll talk about everything that's going on there's some questions in in uh in my uh in my list of questions there are people that are addressing this whole thing that's going on with Kyrie so we're going to get to that but for the sake of this question let's say that the nba does come back i was fortunate enough to have had season tickets for the memphis grizzlies throughout my duration of high school right from ninth grade to senior year i got to see the memphis grizzlies play a lot and if there's one thing that i gauged from watching the memphis grizzlies at fedex forum Home field advantage, home court advantage, that is a real tangible thing, man. That is a real tangible thing. You can feel it in the stadium. You can see the players feeding off that energy that the fans provide them. We talk about basketball, how it's a game of momentum. Think about the Warriors dynasty, right? That's all it took was a little bit of momentum to sway in their direction, and they're running away with the game. What was, you know, a 10 point lead in your favor, now you're losing by 20. That momentum shift that can be caused by home court advantage, that's real, man. That is real. And not having that, It's going to be a disadvantage to the teams who have the best fans. We talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. They're in the playoffs as it stands right now. We talk about Oklahoma City Thunder. That's a pretty tough place to go into. Utah Jazz. That's a pretty tough place to go into. Those teams are going to be put at a distinct disadvantage. And... I don't think it's going to impact the viewer experience a whole lot. Watching it on our TVs, it's going to be a little bit odd because essentially what you're looking at is a scrimmage, right? There's no fans in the stadium. There might be some media members here and there. But you're looking at what amounts to a scrimmage amongst players. So where are these guys going to get that momentum and energy from? The, the bigness of the playoffs, right? The bigness of everything that's going on. I talked about it on my last podcast. Imagine that iconic Kawhi Leonard, Eastern Conference Finals game-winning shot that he hit. Imagine no fans in that stadium. Players feed off that stuff, man. Players feed off having that home court advantage. And without it, now... We think about how the team with the higher seed, they get to play four home games. The other team gets to play three. That's now it's evened out. It doesn't matter who's home and who's away. What matters is, who is the better team on that day? Rhyming accidentally. That's all that's going to boil down to is who's the better team on that day? So it really hurts the upper seeds that had that home court tangible advantage more than anyone else. And I, what I think it does, I, I really feel like we're due to see some some crazy things happen. Some teams that had no business losing could end up losing because there's just too many factors going on right now. We talked about the fact that there's no home court advantage. There's no live fans. We haven't addressed, you know, how in shape are these guys? The period that these guys are going to have to get back into shape and to, uh, to get back on the court before playoff time, it's not a whole lot. And if these dudes have been BSing with their with their workout regimens and getting out of shape, we've already heard rumors that Luka might be out of shape. We don't know how, how much veracity there is to that, but we've heard the rumors and you know there's gonna be some dudes that come back and they're not they're not game ready. They're, we're gonna see some really unusual things happen in this playoffs. I can almost guarantee that. There's just way too many factors coming into play here. It's gonna be very interesting, no doubt. But Talking about these playoffs man This next question comes from Eddie son And also William Patterson You guys both asked me about the same question So I'm going to lump it together Eddie asked me Thoughts on some NBA players Hesitant to play in the wake of protests William asked me I want to hear your take on this Kyrie And the players lobbying not to continue the season I've thought a lot about this man And Eddie we've had our discussions We've had our discussions about where we stand on these things. And for those of you who aren't, are not unaware of what's going on, essentially what you have, the NBA put out all of these plans. We're going to do this in Orlando. We're going to have these uh, these plans to circumvent the coronavirus threat. We're going to essentially plan this bubble. And we're going to have these eight games. Then we're going to push onto the playoffs. The NBA has this plan and the players are ready to go through with it. Kyrie essentially steps up and says, hold up, y'all. I'm not sure if we should come be coming back right now. He says, in the wake of all of these protests, in the wake of the clear and tangible social change that's happening in this country right now, the NBA might be serving... As too much of a distraction, too much of a diversion for people to pay attention to when they should be paying attention to the social, the demand for social justice that's happening in this country right now. And it's a valid point. It is a valid point. And there's people that say... We can have social justice. We can advocate for social justice. We can scream Black Lives Matter at the top of our lungs and have NBA basketball at the same time. We've seen social activism and sport occur at the same time before. And that's true, we have. However, we are in unprecedented times. I saw something that um God, her name's eluding me now. What is her name? That's embarrassing, man. I can't remember her name, but it was it's this Angela Davis. That's her name. Angela Davis. She and Angela Davis, for those of you who don't know, Angela Davis is a social justice warrior. Coming around the the, 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 the 1970s, like mid-70s, 80s era, that the Black Panther era, the Black Power era. She's one of the biggest figures, the most important figures in not just Black history, not just social justice history, but in American history. If you don't know who Angela Davis is, you need to learn. That woman is of the utmost importance. We think about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael. She's right up there with them in terms of importance to black culture and black social justice. She said in all of her experience in this realm. All of the years that she's spent fighting for social justice, she has never seen anything like this. She has never. This woman lived through the civil rights movement. She lived through the black power era. She was at the forefront fighting for those changes. She was on the ground doing the dirty work. And she's never seen anything. Like what we're experiencing in this country right now, y'all, if you haven't realized it at this point, let me tell it to you right now, right here on the Reagan Griffin Jr. show, this moment of social upheaval might be the most impactful one in American history. And I know that's weird to think because we've studied the civil rights movement in our class. We've studied the Boston Tea Party. We, we um, I mean, y'all might not have studied the Black Power Movement. That's the American school system failing you. But for those of you who had, it's weird to think that right now in this moment, we are part of something that's could be bigger than all of that. But if Angela Davis says it, you better believe that to be true because that woman is an expert on such matters so my point is we're living in unprecedented times so we can't base the things in the decisions that we make going forward on things that have happened in the past because clearly the things that have happened in the past haven't worked but on the other hand If the NBA does not come back this season. That could spell disaster. For the league as we know it. We're talking about. I've seen numbers up to 2 billion dollars. In revenue for the league. Gone to squat. 2 billion dollars that's a lot of money and that just doesn't affect the owners that affects all the way it trickles down all the way to the players and we're talking about salary cap changes we're talking about TV deal revenues we're talking about a lot of the business aspects of sports that people don't tend to think about a whole lot But matters a ton. I said it earlier in in the show. We don't talk about the front office a ton. But it matters. And I think that points to this larger point. We don't talk about the business aspect of this a ton. But that stuff matters. Because that's ultimately what moves the needle a lot in these situations. Two billion dollars. And this we, we could say, hey man, if the salary cap gets lowered, so what? LeBron James doesn't make 30 million dollars, he only makes 23 million, whatever. LeBron James is just one dude, man. And his caliber of player, when we talk about the star players, yeah, the dude's making upwards of 15 million dollars. That's not gonna, you know, kill you. But when we talk about the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th dude on the roster. Dudes only making 300, 400 K. Now we're talking about 150 K, 200 K. I'm just throwing numbers out there, but you know what I'm saying? Some of these dudes are these dudes are supporting families, some of them multiple families, depending on that money. To keep coming in so they can do what they need to do for themselves, their families, and their communities. I'm not sure it's fair to ask those dudes to be alright with the salary cap getting cut. It's a very complicated and nuanced topic on what, on what needs to be done. And I've looked at this from so many angles, and the conclusion that I've ultimately drawn is that it's not our battle to fight. And when I say our, I mean we as analysts, I mean we as NBA fans, I mean we as outsiders looking in. This is the player's battle. This is something that's going to affect them. And there are times, right? And this is something that I think gets lost a lot in this country. But there are times where it's appropriate to step back and allow the people who the decision is going to affect the most. Allow those people to talk amongst themselves and draw that conclusion for themselves. Now, I'm going to have opinions on it. For those of you who want to know my opinion, I lean more towards coming back and playing basketball. However, I completely understand the other side of the argument. I've seen dudes like Dwight Howard. I've seen Austin Rivers. I've seen quotes from Kyrie Irving. And every time I read a quote that's on either side of this argument, I read it and I'm like, damn, that's a valid point. That makes a lot of sense. And that's me reading both sides of the argument. And ultimately, I don't have the answers. You don't have the answers. The analysts don't have the answers. None of us really have answers right now because like I said, like Angela Davis said, we are in unprecedented times. And for that reason, I think we leave it up to the players right now. The, it's their job, right? They're the people who this decision is going to affect the most. They're intelligent human beings. They have the capacity to to weigh pros and cons. to, To make informed decisions. I say we trust those guys to figure this out. Because at the end of the day, it's not our place. It's not our place to wag our fingers and say, Kyrie Irving, you're wrong. And it's not our place to say, Kyle Kuzma, Austin Rivers, you're wrong. We don't know what they, these guys go through. They know better than any of us. And in this moment, I think it's appropriate to trust them. That's what. That's my two cents. Um, I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. Definitely hit me back and let me know what you think. Um, final question, man. Final question. This one comes from Daniel Quinn, show made of mine. We do sports scene together. We go to cause together. I'm looking forward on hopping on his podcast in the near future. Daniel Quinn asks me, what young NBA star could you see joining AD on the Lakers once LeBron leaves? mm, mm. mm. Damn. You know, y'all know I'm a Lakers fan, man. I, I'm just getting, I'm getting excited just thinking about it, man. I don't know, but with that said, right, I'm excited just thinking about it. But I also know, as a Lakers fan, time and again we get disappointed. We're getting LaMarcus Aldridge. That that was my first experience with this. We can go get LaMarcus Aldridge. Nope. LaMarcus Aldridge gave us two meetings. Couldn't even swing him. Couldn't swing the dude. We can go get Kevin Durant. Nope and swing these dudes man so I know that it's harder than a lot of people think for the Lakers to go get dudes we ended up pulling LeBron and to be quite honest with you I'm not so sure that was more a case of the Lakers selling themselves to LeBron I feel like it's more LeBron just saying oh I want to go to be I want to go be a Laker no one sold LeBron on the Lakers he was already sold He was already sold on the idea of wearing purple and gold and carrying that torch. That's besides the point. I digress. What young star do I think could join AD once LeBron has fizzled out? Will LeBron fizzle out? I don't know. Maybe that dude can play till he's 45 and still be just as effective at this point. I'm not putting it past him, but Father time never loses that man is undefeated. So there will be a time where LeBron is going to have to pass that torch. Now, when we think about dudes that could potentially join the Lakers, it's gotta be a guard, right? the 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 days of the Power forward Center combo leading you to an NBA championship that that's gone. a d is the the dude who holds down the paint. You need a guard to go along with that. So it's gonna have to be a guard. And B, it's going to have to be somebody that's dissatisfied with their current situation. So what I'm really trying to project here is who is a guard that I could see being dissatisfied with their situation and wanting to either be traded or will want to sign with the Lakers through free agency. So I have a couple names. These are less realistic. But I could see Trey Young. We know Atlanta sucks. They have some pieces, right? John Collins, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta sucked this year. And if Atlanta doesn't make tangible improvements in the coming year, say we're five years down the line, LeBron's ready to hang them up, and the Hawks are still sitting at the 12th seed in the East, I could see Trey Young and my God, would that be nasty, man? I'm shivering just thinking about a pick and roll between Trey Young and Anthony Davis. Y'all, if you don't understand how good of a passer of the basketball that Trey Young is. It's ridiculous, man. Ambidexterity. I don't even know if that's a word, but if it isn't, we need to create the word. Put it in the dictionary and put Trey Young's face right next to it. That dude can pass with both hands. He can pass at all angles. He's creative. He can execute every pass in the book. He sees things before they happen. He puts the ball in places that leads his uh that leads his offensive player to the rim and simultaneously keeping it away from the defensive player. It's ridiculous. That dude has the ball on a rope, man, on a rope. And him and Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis might be the best lob finisher in NBA history. Trey Young is already one of the best passers that I've ever seen. Put those two together, that would be oh man, that would be showtime. That would be showtime again. But I also don't think that's that realistic. A guy like Trey Young, I don't think he's going to stay down for too long. I do think Atlanta's due to ascend in the coming years. They have a lot of young talent, so I don't know if he's going to be dissatisfied with his situation by the time LeBron's ready to leave. Another name, Donovan Mitchell. Mm, Maybe. You have the guard in big combo, but the ultimate problem that I have with Donovan Mitchell, a, am not sure he'd be leaving Utah anytime soon. And B, he's not, I think he can develop better as a passer of the basketball. And he's the the type of dude that has to be on the ball right now and wants to put Donovan Mitchell off the ball. That's why the whole Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell thing wasn't working earlier this season because Mike Conley needs to be on the ball and Donovan Mitchell needs to be on the ball. They couldn't quite figure that out. But at the same time that you need Donovan Mitchell on the ball, I'm not sure how apt he is at actually running an offense. So essentially what you're doing is you're limiting your ceiling as an offensive basketball team when you put the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands. So uh, he's a talented player and he definitely has room to grow in that respect. And I do think he can get there just at this particular juncture. He's not there yet. Five years down the line, who knows? But I don't think Donovan Mitchell would be leaving the Jazz either. He seems like the type of dude that would want to stick around. So let me hit you guys. I've hit you with some names that I think are less realistic. Let me hit you with some names that I think could potentially happen. De'Aaron Fox probably should have been a Laker in the first place. I said it like I'm not going to sit up here and act like I wasn't sold on Lonzo Ball, just like everyone else was coming out of college. If I'm the one making that pick, I would have also picked Lonzo Ball at number two. So I'm not going to be the, the the Monday morning quarterback telling everybody, oh, you should have drafted De'Aaron Fox. You should have drafted Jason Tatum. Right. We can all see what happened. We all know how it played out. But I'm not going to act like at the time I wasn't sold on Lonzo, just like a lot of other people were. But, you know, it, apparently people within the organization wanted De'Aaron Fox, but they were hit with the veto. Because it just seems so perfect for Lonzo Ball. But De'Aaron Fox, Sacramento, that, that franchise just never seems to go anywhere, man. They have talented players now. De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Boyan Bogdanovich. I hope that was the right Bogdanovich. I don't know. Bogdan, Boyan. I think it was Boyan. Um, Rashawn Holmes. You got talented players, but they just never seem to get any better as a team. It's weird. It's weird like we've seen since DeMarcus Cousins left and even while DeMarcus Cousins was there, they just never seem to get any better as a team. They always seem to be that team that's in like the the 10th, 9th, maybe the 8th seed range and just never improved. I could see De'Aaron Fox getting frustrated with that and wanting to dip. I could see De'Aaron Fox wanting to wear a Lakers jersey. I could see De'Aaron Fox wanting to play with AD. I think that's something that could happen. Another name, Zach Levine. We all know Zach Levine does not mess with the Bulls right now. The dude's literally dropping 40, yelling at his coach the entire time. He does not like Boylan or what is it? I don't even even take the time out to research the coach's name because he's that irrelevant. He don't know what he's doing. Sticking Lori marketing in a corner like he's, he's Kyle Korver or something. He don't know what he's doing down there. I could see Zach Levine, even if they do hire a new coach. I could see him wanting out. And Zach Levine's a very underrated scorer of the basketball. One of the most talented scorers in the NBA at this point. But we have never seen him in a winning situation. I could see him wanting to be in pursuit of a winning situation. Should he leave the Bulls? I think the Lakers would be amongst the top of his list. And that'd be a guy that I think you could trade for, not even have to go get him in free agency. We've seen Zach Levine traded before, and obviously his value has raised since he was traded from Minnesota. But if Zach Levine, we we all know when somebody demands a trade, their value drops a little bit because the team loses their leverage. So should Zach Levine demand a trade, I could see that happening. But I gave you guys some less realistic options, some more realistic options. I'm going to try to merge that into the ultimate guy that I think could be the dude to come and join Anthony Davis and continue the legacy of Lakers greatness after LeBron leaves. This is one that I think is both idealistic and realistic because... This player is in a situation similar to the Kings where the team just doesn't seem to get any better. No matter who they bring in, no matter what they do, the team just doesn't seem to get any better. That player is Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. He's young. He can score the basketball with the best of them. He's an underrated distributor of the basketball. If you guys couldn't tell, I like dudes that can pass the ball. I think Devin Booker, should the Suns continue to be this mediocre team, could ultimately say, nah, man, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to continue dropping 28 a-, a game to be the 13th seed and not see the playoffs. I could see that, man. I can see Devin Booker wanting to come. We know that he was a protege of Kobe Bryant, we know that he's a shooting guard. You can see hints of Kobe Bryant in his game. I could see him wanting to carry that torch. Obviously, with the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. I could see him wanting to come to LA and do his best to uphold that legacy. I could see that, man. So... I've thrown out Trey Young, I've thrown out Donovan Mitchell, I threw out De'Aaron Fox, I threw out Zach Levine, but the one guy that I think merges idealism idealism and realism, Devin Booker, man. I think that's the dude. That's just a hunch, but I think that's the dude. Maybe it's a light skin. I don't know. Maybe it's because Anthony Davis's light skin. Devin Booker's light skin. It works. Maybe it doesn't work. Kyle Kuzma's light skin, too. Why are we even talking about Kyle Kuzma? Maybe Kyle Kuzma, you know, comes to be the star. What? Maybe, right? Probably not probably not man but with that said that'll do it for this episode of the reagan griffin jr show so glad i could hit you guys with this q a because i've been lacking like i said i have been lacking with the i a i'm gonna try to be better i apologize i'm sorry but i gave you guys this platform for a reason because i wanted to make it up to you had a lot of fun with this man i hope you guys enjoyed i will see you next week with another podcast every week the reagan griffin jr show on mondays tune in i'll see you next week bro